Good morning, Grace. How are you guys? Um, just uh, before we get started with our learning time, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3 if you want. Uh, this, has been, this whole week has been Sanctity of Life uh, week around the country, actually around the world. And you normally we would have someone here and would take a special offering for life care, which is now the source. We're going to do that next week because it was the first time we could get the new director here. So we'll have her on stage with us next week. Pretty exciting. Bring your checks if necessary. I think we'll have a way to uh, donate online through our, through our you know, thing, database, and, or with credit cards as well. Uh, just ahead of time, I, sometimes I get dizzy. For, I got a bad ear. And so if I get dizzy, I'm going to have to sit down. That's why there's, this chair is not a prop. It's a, well, it might be a prop. We'll see how this goes. Be, I just didn't want anyone to be startled if I get um, distracted or dizzy or something. So it's just a thing. It's just a thing. So a number of years ago, the London Times sent letter, letters out to the various authors that wrote for their newspaper and said, this was a question, what is wrong with the world? And you might know the story, G.K. Chesterton wrote back and said, I am. And there's a lot of truth to that. He was right. We're looking at our survey of the Bible, and last week we looked at creation, and we saw that God is perfect and good, and he made man in his image, and man glorifies God by reflecting the image of God back to creation. All the angels and demons and all created things see the nature of God in us when we show ourselves to be obedient to him. So with that in mind, what went wrong? Why all the corruption and the evil and the violence and the deceit? That's what we're going to look at today. And more importantly, in some respects, in our own souls, like why can't I do the things I want to do? And why do I, why do I not do the things that you know, I'm supposed to do and then do the things I'm not supposed to do, right? Just the inner conflict that we have. Our spirit is willing and our flesh is weak. Well, last week we saw, and I want to mention this, and we'll, I'm going to show you this uh, multiple times today, but the nature of man is this, being human is this, is, is knowing our place in creation and being content to stay there. Knowing our place in creation and being content, content to stay there because man in the image of God is somewhere between angels and apes. We are spiritual, we are small, like in between small g gods and mammals. And scholars and theologians throughout the year, years have said this, this is man's dilemma, that we are unique. This is man, mankind is like no other part of creation. This is our glory and this is our impasse, that we are in the image of God. Man is in the image of God. And in that, we are all alone. There's nothing like us. And it is our propensity to become, to desire to become like God or to become less like ourselves and become a mere animal. But we can't go there because we weren't designed for that. We were meant to be in this place, this place in between. Reinhold Niebuhr paints a beautiful picture for illustrative purposes. He says, you know, consider yourself on a giant mast of a tall ship and at the abyss below where the sea rages is, is beneath us is the animal in us. And it is less than we were meant to be. And all we have to do is quit. And we fall, our, we fall down and find ourselves there. And then 
up on top is the crow's nest. And in the crow's nest, that is above us. And if we desire to climb and claw our way to the top there, we try to act like we're God. And the place of man, being human is this, finding ourselves in between angel and ape and being content with that, between our physical urges beneath and the spirit that calls us to something more, between our freedom and our physical necessities. Men make terrible dictators, and they make even worse animals because we weren't made for that. We were made to be in the image of God. We're going to look at a passage today. We're going to look at all of Genesis chapter 3. It's called the fall of man, and that's what went wrong. I want you to look at, at, that, at this chapter and see that in the context of it, it is right now paradise. There is absolute and complete harmony with God and our fellow man and nature and with ourselves for that matter. And then this happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the tree, from the trees in the garden, but God said, you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Climb to the top of the mast. You will be like God. See the temptation there? And when woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, there's lust of the flesh. That's that animal. It's going to taste good and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate. And then she, uh, then she also gave some of to her husband who was with her and he ate of it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and the wife heard the sound of Yahweh God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. And Yahweh God called to the man and said, where are you? There's temptation. Temptation is a lie about God and a lie particularly about the goodness of God. You will surely not die. As a matter of fact, you will live. You will live with your eyes wide open. You will fulfill the potential that you could have. As a matter of fact, if you, dis, if you obey God, you'll miss certain things. God is withholding good things from you. That's the, that, that's the lie that's being promoted here. And with all joking aside, honestly, the power of the fear of missing out that sinister lust that is driving social media and bringing people to the, literally the place of suicide, the fear of missing out starts here. Maybe that's why it's so powerful. The devil is saying, look at all that you could miss out on if you were to obey God. If you truly surrender to God, you won't be completely happy, not the potential that you could be. If you give God all those things, you couldn't enjoy the fullness of what life could bring. If you give your life completely, if you keep God in the center of your soul, you'll miss out on opportunities of power and of passion. You'll miss those. You will not thrive. That lie is still alive today. 
Here, there's a little, little experiment. Close your eyes for just a second, okay? Just imagine this. Today, Jesus Christ literally rings your doorbell. Ding dong. And he says this, come with me. Leave everything. It'll be great. Anywhere, anytime to do anything. Would you go with him? Open your eyes. Would you go with him? If there's an unsettling spirit within you, if there's a second guess about all that you're losing, if there's something that's making you second guess this, that's the devil saying the fear of missing out. If you go with him and give him everything, it won't work out the way you want because God is not loving. He holds things back. And it's, it's this desire to climb that mast in our pride and be the spirit in us want to be, I, I, I want to make sure that I can be higher than I was meant to go. Or we just, our flesh, our passions, we give in and we slide down that and just enjoy the lusts of the flesh. Because when you eat from that tree, when you give in to those temptations to be like God, it, it comes down to this. You write the rules. That's what he's appealing to. There it is right there. You write the rules. Has God really said, will you really die? And it's in those rules and who gets to write the rules. It's about authority here that is at stake. You know, when, sometimes when we follow rules like that are written in the Bible, even in our culture, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Many times we say, well, and here's the seven reasons why. And, and it makes sense to not lie and cheat and steal because in the long run, it pays off. But listen, if your obedience is based on your understanding, then it's not obedience. You're just being reasonable. This passage, what's interesting about this particularly temp temptation is it's obscure. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. Why? Because I said so. That's why. Just because I said no. And anytime we're in a place of authority or under authority, rather, anytime we're under authority and someone says no and we chafe, it's a cosmic battle that's taking place. When God says to do something and we don't understand why, do we still obey? Because that's when obedience gets started. And why don't we obey? Because he's withholding something from us. He's not good. If we have to understand why, then maybe it's not really obedience. And this is the problem with the, with the world is we feel like there is no authority telling us how we ought to live. And so we write our own rules and, and we, we ascend to this crow's nest and say, I'm in charge here. I can be like, like God and I will fulfill my passions in that. And so when the Bible says you shouldn't be sleeping with someone unless you're married to them, you think, well, you know what? There's this fear of missing out on some really great pleasure. And so that rule doesn't apply to me. Not in this case, in this circumstance. The Bible says you should be generous with it your whole life and every aspect of it. But, you know, you could be missing out on some great vacation time or some, just some spare time on your own and not be giving it in, in, in service. So that doesn't apply to you, right? Bible says don't hold a grudge. But man, we love, we love the feeling of the power of revenge. And if we can use our money or our power, or our influence to hurt someone else, 
it does give us a little tingle. So, not this time. What is the temptation? The temptation is this, that if you obey God, you're going to miss out on some expression of power or passion. Because in that, you won't be who God made you to be. The temptation is to be more than you were designed or less than you were meant to be. That's the temptation. And we want that. This higher or lower, this, this power versus passion. Look what um, Reinhold Niebuhr said. He said, mankind is stuck between two extremes. He said, he said we, we can ascend to the qualities of an angel or descend to the vile, vileness lower than most despicable animals. Pascal wrote it this, the potential of man. He wrote it this way. This is profound. There are, in faith, two equally constant truths. One is that man, exalted, man is exalted above the whole nature, created like unto God and sharing in his image. And the other is that in the state of corruption, he has fallen from that first state to become like beasts. Temptation is this that we can climb that mast and get to that crow's nest and take control and write the rules. Or it is to just slide down the pole and just want to feel good. I deserve to feel good. Here's how Malcolm Muggeridge, a famous writer in, in England, he said this, if God is dead, if we're not listening to him, then somebody's going to have to take his place. It will be megalomania or rotomania. It will be a drive to power or a drive to pleasure. The clenched fist or the phallus, Hitler or Hugh Hefner. That's what we do. That's what we're drawn to. And this abuse of power, for example, let's look at that. It's easy to see this in politicians and people with wealth and power, and they use that wealth and power or politics. And they, like the politicians will literally write rules, laws that they don't have to uh, submit to. And even if they did have to submit to them, they don't. And you know why? Because they can, and so they do. And while that's easy to see from a distance, the eighth grade girl that is using her social power and her God-given intuition to gossip about a rival and to hurt that other human being is doing it for the same reason, because she can. She feels the power of her social status and the passion of hurting another human soul and finds that to be pleasurable. And whether she's in eighth grade or 28, and at 28, she's probably gotten a little better, more subtle, but it's for the same reason, because she can. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for a young couple, a newlywed couple, for young husbands to be bullies to their wives because they have a place maybe of authority for the first time and they bully them with their words or their volume or sometimes their actions and sometimes in a church like this with Bible verses. And they do it because they can. They don't want to stay in the place that God made them to be image bearers and use power to be co-regents to serve other people. They want to use it to serve their own needs and their own passions. So my appeal here is this is the next time you hear this call to power, call to abuse of power rather, you should hear this from heaven. What is a human like you doing in God's throne? 
What is a human like you doing on God's throne? That's not your place. When you hear, when you hear the, the, the phrase, well, that, that rule doesn't necessarily apply to you. It, it means everyone else. That's the devil. He's saying, oh, you'll be missing out if you obey. And to slide down the mast into sensuality, look, it always starts for fun and pleasure. You, you know, you start with some expression of pleasure and it serves you, then you serve it, and then it devours you. Look, again, this is easy to see in extremes. Watch an episode of Cops or go on a ride along with one of our police officers here or our first responders, firefighters, and you'll see the darker parts of our city and, you, and you'll see men and women that have given themselves over to soul, listen to me, soul-killing drugs. And when you see them, you'll see them and they look like stray animals. They've lost their humanity in that. That's what I'm, I'm speaking to here. Because they, they lowered themselves down here and thought they, could, they can handle this particular drug. Oh, they're different. It, will, it won't apply to them. They find themselves in servitude to that. And while that's an extreme, the siren call is similar to us. It's on the same street. We're just not that far down the road yet. I had a hard day at work. I deserve not a reward. That's, you know, that's good. But I deserve gluttony. Somebody shame me in front of other people. I, I should get to experience some expression of decadence. And so when we study the, the application of anthropology, the nature of man now in its fallen state, I want you to hear this from heaven. When you find yourself just at the bottom of this mast, acting like an animal, I want you to hear God's voice speaking to you, saying, what's an image bearer like you doing in a place like this? This is not what you were designed for. This is not what I made you for. You are so much more than animal. You are so much less than God. Find your place. Enjoy that place. Let's talk about the, the breadth of sin, the absolute contamination of the entire human race. Every single human soul after Adam and Eve, this bent, we are hardwired for selfishness and cruelty. We want power. We want lust. And, and listen, don't, this is a common thing. It ebbs and flows, right, in, in human history. Wealth and education are no match for the sin of man, for original sin, wealth and education. Not, they don't have a chance. Listen, you, we know this. Listen, you read the book, probably in eighth grade, The Lord of the Flies. Who were those boys? They were junior high boys from a very privileged and noble families. They were in a, you know, an exclusive prep school. Remember? They were in their uniforms when they arrived on the islands. And within a few weeks, they're trying to kill Piggy. That's the point of it. These weren't street kids. These were the best that we could breed. Didn't last. Here's another example. Jeffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself, um, <laughs> look at his client list, right? Privileged men and women, many with advanced degrees. I think one of them is a Rhodes Scholar. Look at that list. How does that happen? It's not, a lot, it's not poverty. It's not ignorance. What happens is Genesis chapter 3. It's the fall of man. We're bent, and we can't fix it. 
It is way past our ability to recover from this. Here's the depth of sin. The next rest of the passage here, it says, and then Yahweh God called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And then the Lord said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I can, commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, it was the woman you, you put here with me. And she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then the, Yahweh said to the woman, what, what have you done? And the woman said, it was a serpent that deceived me. And so I ate. And then Yahweh said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said this, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe and painful labor will, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now to Adam, he said this, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat, from, you will eat food from, the, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat uh, the plants of the field. But, but by the sweat of your own brow, you'll have to eat the food until you return to the ground, since it was from the ground that you were taken. Dust you are, and dust you shall return. Every single relationship has been destroyed in this fall. Everyone. Relationship with God, with ourself, with others, and with nature itself. Our relationship with God. Look what the story says. God is coming to speak to them, walking in the cool of the evening. And that walking is an idiom of relationship. I, want, I am here to know. I'm here to enjoy. We're, we do this every evening. Let's talk. And what's happened? Adam and Eve are hiding because they are ashamed. They felt shame. And so now we're broken from that relationship. And the next one, we're even broken in our relationship with ourselves. He's ashamed. He says, I'm ashamed because I was naked. And God said, well, who said that? What brought that to your mind? In your fallen state, you see that. And, and so what does man do? He covers himself. Note this, please note this. That Adam brings shame to himself. God does not bring shame to this story. Adam brings guilt to himself and Eve. God does not bring guilt to this. God brings cures for those things. We bring this on ourselves. We understand in this context of shame that there is something wrong with me deeply, and I want to cover that up. And so now our relationships are fear-based. Even our relationship with ourselves we don't even want to know how dark and ugly it is down there. Our relationship with others is strained. Look what happens. We, we hurt and we blame those people that we love the most. Adam turns on his beloved wife and God. <laughs> it was the woman that you gave me. That's whose fault this is. And it's been that way ever since. It's this strive. And now they, this husband and wife that previously were naked and unashamed, now they cover themselves. That's the place of marriage, to be naked and unashamed. And now they hide those special places from each other because now they have to be safe because they're no longer free. What's broken between God and ourselves and, and our fellow man, and now 
even nature. We're at war with the soil. Every fruit is going to have to be fought for. And now there's going to be natural disasters and, and the lion will never lay down with the lamb in this life. It can't happen. Here's what I want us to walk away with today. This understanding, this, this concept has helped me tremendously in temptation. I want you to know why you are tempted or maybe how you are tempted. In the context of pride, it's who do you think you are in the use of power or privilege when you use it for your own gain instead of serving others. What happens is you become the self-righteous older brother in the prodigal son's story, right? Where, you know, his younger brother, he squandered his wealth, he comes back and the father generously throws this extravagant party and the self-righteous, law-abiding, you know, good son says, this is no place to celebrate. This is a time for discipline. And the father says, no. He just says, no. That's not the time for this. And he doesn't have to explain. He does, but he doesn't have to explain that. Because when an authority says, no, you submit, even if you don't understand. And the, the problem with him is, the problem with his older son is like, I, I ascend to the top. I'm in that mast. I say what's just. I'm the one who decides what is right and wrong and who has to pay. He has no grace in his life because he's in a place he wasn't designed for. He can't play the place of God. Ask yourself that question. What are you doing on God's throne? And when it comes to passions, you know, when you find yourself sliding down that pole and just enjoying whatever the lust that you might enjoy, you find yourself like the younger brother, right? He goes to his father and he says, I want to spend my money or your money on anything I want anything I desire. And the father says, no. And he fears that he might be missing out. And so he takes that money and he leaves and he squanders it. But remember the story. Where does he end up? Where does the younger brother find himself? With the pigs. He's in the pigs with the pig slop, looking at their food, wishing he could have it. Note this, let this be clear and vivid. Those pigs in that slop, they were glorifying God because they were acting like they were made. They were acting like pigs. That boy, that's not his place. Those pigs were looking at him going, what's an image bearer like you doing in a place like this? And that's when he came to his senses. He looked around and he saw, I wasn't missing out on anything. Our place, know this, our place as humans is to reflect God's image between angels and apes. And we get to be co-regents, so we get to have authority, but not abuse that authority. We get to enjoy the pleasures of life, but they don't become addictive to us. That's how we glorify God. That's how we show the angels and demons and all of creation that we are in the image of God. We can stay in that place of balance and we can show what we were meant to be, what we were designed to be. Now, before we kind of finish, I want to end with how God responds to this. This is the glorious part of this whole thing. I just want to remind you that God was the one who sought out man. 
God seeks, God goes to the garden and says, where are you? And what have you done? Why is he asking these questions? All knowing God, he knows the answers. Why would he do this? Where are you, Adam, Eve? And what have you done? He's treating them like adults. He's treating them like they're in the image of God. And he's, and he's just like, some of you that are in recovery, you know what he's doing. You're onto this already. God is saying, come on, Adam, say it. Say it out loud, Adam. There's no shame, just say the words. Hi, I'm Adam and I'm a sinner. There you go. He wants Adam to own it. He wants Adam to admit it. He wants Adam to take responsibility for it because it says in the Bible, the truth will set you free. This is the truth, say it out loud. God is loving Adam and Eve by counseling them and pulling the truth out of them. Then here's what happens next. Then Yahweh God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and they clothed them. And Yahweh God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good from evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. For Yahweh banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed east on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim, these are angels, with flaming swords flashing back and forth to guard them and keep them away from the tree of life. The next thing God does is he clothes them. He looks at Adam and Eve and they have these fig leaves and he says, that's not adequate. Something's going to have to die so that your shame can be covered. And he covers their shame for them. And then after that, he gives them this gift. He gives them the gift of death. This is an act of mercy. There's a tree of life, of eternal life. And if they take from that tree, they will be in this state of damnation forever. And God says, I'm going to have to move you out of Eden and put a guard on that gate so that you never come back and live with this forever. Your eternity will be with me, so leave here. I mean, look at at fiction and and fantasy. Who Who are the people that want to live forever? Who are the people that think they should be immortal? They're always megalomaniacs. They're like, they're, right? they, they think that they should be like God and live forever. Death is a gift. It is a gateway to life. And he gives that to these so that we, you know, I, personally, I, I cannot wait to get out of this sin suit. It is, I, it, I just, I can't, the immortal, right? The mortal can't inherit immortality. And so, Sin is a gift. I mean, not sin is a gift, but uh, death is a gift. It's an enemy and it's a friend. It's a birth mother. It gets us to a greater place. So I just want to remind you of that sometimes when you're looking at death, it doesn't seem like it's at present, but it is. And then finally, there's a clue. There's a clue given. And it's, and it's this, that only God can fix this. It, we are so broken that only God's grace and his intervention can make us well. He says this in a previous passage I read before. And Yahweh God said to the serpent, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And that is the battle of all ages. That is the spiritual war that is the story of the Bible. It starts here. That 
passage, this passage that we're reading is what's called the covenant to Adam, the Adamic covenant. That God says, I promise by my name, I will make this right. And if you continue the reading in the Bible, you're going to see that there are more gardens and there are more failures. We never fail to fail. It is the easiest thing to do. There'll be more promises. The promises of God will be made more clear when he makes these covenants to Abraham and to David. And then a second Adam comes and a second temptation in a second garden. And the garden is Gethsemane. And Jesus asks the father, would you take this cup of suffering from me? And the father said, no. Just no. And the son said, thy will be done. And that's the beginning of the end of the curse because that is the initiation of Good Friday, the day that Jesus died. And then three days later, he's raised on Easter Sunday. And the point of that whole story is only God can fix that. Only a gift, only faith in the power of that gift can change your status with God. We broke this so bad, only God could fix it. If you have faith in anything but the work of Jesus Christ on that cross, proved in his resurrection, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian. That's just the definition of what Christianity is. It's understanding the depth of the fall, of the break, that only God could fix it. And any attempt that we have to fix it makes us, I don't know, an older brother or a younger brother. Choose that if you haven't, if this is a new thing for you, faith alone in Jesus Christ. Do that today. So what do we do until later? Here's what. Until Jesus comes again, our goal and quest in life is to get back to Eden. Eden is the way we were meant to be, like Adam and Eve. And that's why we say it, Grace, regularly, to become like Christ in all of life. Because in Jesus' last command and in throughout the epistles, it says, help them, guide them to become like Christ in all of life. Perfect, right? Lacking in nothing, mature. That's what it means. And that's, that's our pilgrimage right now. The story now is this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God can live within us. And that Spirit can give us power the power to overcome addiction and the power to overcome sin, the power to overcome the desires of the flesh and the desires of pride to bully, to beat, to take advantage. And now, now we live with the hope that God would make beautiful things out of us. This is how we glorify God. When we show angels and demons that progressively we are becoming more like Christ in every aspect of our life. It makes the angels smile and the demons wince. He makes beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. If you let him, let him, let him, you won't miss out on anything but suffering. That's what we can learn from Genesis chapter three. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, God the Father, I would acknowledge that 
in sin, I doubt your goodness and your love and your care for me. I have contempt for your generosity and your will. I, I regularly will obey you if I understand. And that, that is not obedience. Lord God, I would, help, I would ask that you would help me and maybe the people that are praying this with me desire to obey you because you say so and you say so because you are good and because you have all the authority to say so. You're God, we're not. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would make us tender and sensitive to times where we try to rise up and use the God-given power and authority that we have for ill gain not to serve and care for, but rather to bully and for selfish ambitions. Lord, I pray that you would help us see ourselves when we slip down and becoming like animals and we are meant for so much more. I'd ask that your spirit would speak to us in these times of temptation of what the real temptation is so that we might live holy lives, lives that glorify you, lives that reflect your image in our souls. We have this very special place of glory to be in the image of God, man with spirit, flesh and blood, with the spirit of God living within us. Let us be a church that does that well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.